0: Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee. As always, I am Scott Lentz, here with my good friend and co-host, Christian Ubius. And Christian, our M. Night Shyamalan blend of the month is coming to a, not official conclusion today, but, you know, the, the formal conclusion of the blend is today as we look at our third film of his, Signs. And I'm very curious, Christian, how you feel. I, uh, you Save your opinions for me, drop it on me in the review, but I've been enjoying the month so far. What about you?
1: I have been enjoying this month, yes, so, ah, uh, there are some thoughts that I have to say for the review. I, I will say, he very much likes to have, sure, weird situations, whatever, these genre metrics, And then he likes to capture people reacting to them more so than the event itself.
0: This is true. Uh, At least in science, this is true. There's a lot of moments uh, where the central conceit, which of course is aliens this time around, is not focused on. And we instead look at the way people are reacting to it or withholding information until later on in the movie. So you can definitely see what you're getting at there. It'll be interesting to unpack it and see how effective you think it is but of course today is signs folks his 2002 film his third uh, big hollywood production we should say not his third overall feature but his third you know six Sense, and then unbreakable comes between this and signs so unbreakable one that you and i both have gotten to see at this point just i know and doing our homework recommend from you on that one i know it's a strong recommend for me
1: from unbreakable
0: yeah
1: i love unbreakable Unbreakable's fantastic
0: yeah unbreakable is great and it's usually especially in like reviews and and recommendations for his work today typically near the top of the list if you don't know it follows bruce willis as a man who survives a car a train crash and realizes he's not only the only survivor but the only one but didn't sustain any injuries and features samuel L. jackson as a comic book collector who has lived his life with constantly breaking bones and starts to see Willis as his sort of foil, perhaps, and tries to help him understand why, you know, he can't get injured, apparently. Pretty interesting movie, and it, of course, would spill on, spin off into a little bit of a trilogy with a couple of other more recent movies, if you're familiar with Split and Glass. So, definitely an interesting one to check out. It wasn't as financially successful as The Sixth Sense, didn't get any Oscar nominations either, like The Sixth Sense, but Signs was another huge success for Shyamalan. Uh, Like I said, came out in 2002 and made over $400 million at the global box office, got really positive reviews, and again, no major awards attention, but another huge success for Shyamalan and proving that his thrillers, or whatever you wanna call them, had a pretty major audience here uh now of course christian stars
1: mel gibson
0: yes that's what i was gonna say it does star mel gibson who of course has attracted some controversy for himself and hollywood kind of forgave him hollywood kind of forgave him and then they kind of didn't they kind of did again and (laughs) who knows he's gone back and forth obviously we are aware of uh, mr gibson's history of uh extremely negative things said yes antisemitism and other isms but no he (laughs) mel gibson has
1: forgiven and he has taken time for himself and he's like here's the thing he just doesn't want to be in the spotlight a lot himself i feel like if he came back and said i want to make another movie everyone would flock to him
0: well he is currently making the passion of the christ 2 to the best of my knowledge so okay that's he's been making that
1: for a bit if he wants to make any other movie, Hollywood would flock to him.
0: Yeah, it, it is interesting that he made Hacksaw Ridge back in, I think it was 2016. Got an Oscar nomination for that, even though there was some pushback. People didn't really want to reward him, because this is after all the stories had broken about his, obviously, pretty negative opinions about right. um, non, non-white peoples, or spe- specifically Jewish people. And then he didn't really do much with that, but there's rumors of a Lethal Weapon sequel. There's rumors of The Passion of the Christ too. <laughs> so, and I guess that's not rumors. That's actually in pre-production, but we'll see. We'll see what he gets I, up to. I haven't seen Passion of the Christ one. Neither have I. That was uh, fun. You know, it was one of those movies where it was huge in the world that we shared growing up and. And, and, you know, Christian circles, a lot of people wanted to see it. But it was R-rated, very graphic, so a lot of us kids didn't get to go see it. So Roger Ebert, four out of four stars. Roger Ebert was a big fan. I, I don't believe no. Roger Ebert was very religious, but he was a big fan of The Passion of the Christ. Anyway, that's Mel Gibson here, and it comes during, maybe not the height of his movie stardom, but he is certainly still a movie star. He's already an
1: Oscar-winning director yes. for, for Braveheart.
0: Yes, this is post-Braveheart, and he's again not maybe not near the peak of his powers anymore he's maybe just fallen off but he's made things like chicken run (laughs) and the patriot and what women want and this comes out the same year as we were soldiers another big war movie he did so he's still a major hollywood player and next to him is none other than joaquin phoenix not a oscar winner at the time but certainly an oscar winner now and christian you mentioned to me before recording that you did not recognize it was him
1: (laughs) I did not recognize Joaquin Phoenix because he was acting normal. He was acting like a regular person. And he normally, had... normally Joaquin Phoenix acts like there is something vitally wrong with him. <laughs>
0: he, you know, he he has plenty of uh, normal-ish roles, I suppose. But this is also when he is maybe not becoming a movie star he might be a movie star by this point he has received an oscar nomination for gladiator at this point in his career but again he is still on the way up in hollywood getting to where he would get and he's yes a big big player at this point surprising age difference between the two there's almost 20 years between them and they're playing brothers that kind of surprised me but what can you do he Joaquin Phoenix, very strapping young man in this movie. He is. Former baseball player <laughs> yeah. in, in in the movie. Uh, funnily enough, he his role, I'm pretty sure, was originally, he was originally cast with Mark Ruffalo. Because Shyamalan had seen a movie starring Mark Ruffalo and one of the child actors in Science Here, Rory Culkin. Who's the younger brother of Macaulay and Kieran and the other Culkin family. And Ruffalo got injured and wasn't able to do it. So he had to... Leave the film and Phoenix was recast. And Gibson's role, uh, Shyamalan actually approached Paul Newman and Clint Eastwood about the role, but Newman couldn't, you know, wasn't interested. I think he was nearing retirement or maybe had already retired at that point in his career, and Eastwood had scheduling conflicts. And so we got Mel Gibson. Aren't both of them significantly older than Gibson? Yes. I, I mean, Paul Newman has since passed on. I'm not sure how old he was at the time, but Eastwood is in his 90s right now, and Gibson's 67 right now. So, so <laughs> again, would have been a massive age difference between Eastwood and Joaquin Phoenix. So, Eastwood would have been 70
1: with his younger brother who's 20. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know how families oh. are, Christian. Oh. Eastwood could oh, be that's Joaquin not Phoenix's good. father. So.
0: <laughs> I mean, Gibson, I guess, technically could be, but, you know, they're not here than are. Uh, but Rory Culkin is here, and he is the older brother to Abigail Breslin's character. The Abigail Breslin moment begins with uh, with this movie, I believe. She's not as... What else as... has Abigail Breslin been in? She's been in a lot, Christian. So this, this was her first movie, but she... Okay. I'm trying to think of the other big one. She was in Little Miss Sunshine a few years later in a okay. very funny performance. And then she's kind of... She's in a bunch of stuff after that. She's in romantic comedies as the daughter. She's in the Santa Claus 3. She's in an American Girl movie. She's in Zombieland, she's in which is Claus my personal 3. favorite role of hers, if you've seen... She's in Zom-
1: who Who, who is, she? is she? Is she the other... The one opposite Emma Stone? Yes.
0: She's a little oh, Rock. I
1: love that movie. Yeah. Yes.
0: Great movie. So, you, Christian, you got to prove your radar for finding Joaquin Phoenix and Abigail Breslin these people that you've seen in other movies before.
1: <laughs> I okay look I will I don't remember names (laughs) I really (laughs) I I don't I really don't
0: yeah Abigail Breslin she was really big as a child actor and her brother is Spencer Breslin who also had a pretty good run in terms of acting while he was a young person but both of them aren't as busy these days Spencer I don't know if he acts at all Abigail is in some smaller films and occasional tv shows so still this is her breakout moment and a lot of people might recognize her even at a very young age when she's probably like five or six in this movie
1: oh okay the premise of this movie
0: yeah i mean we're we're getting there christian
1: (laughs) we i i mean i was listening to um i was listening to a podcast on knock at the cabin recently it was the blank check podcast which honestly is a pretty good time and they were um they were talking about knock at the cabin and then had like a 25 minute interlude in this two-hour podcast about the differences between Rupert Grint's acting career and Emma Watson's acting career and Daniel Radcliffe's acting career.
0: <laughs> A natural diversion <laughs> for Knock at the Cabin.
1: Honestly, loved it. We we should do that more often ourselves. But the <laughs> That's
0: what I'm trying to do here, but you can't recognize Abigail Breslin.
1: <laughs> okay, okay. So the premise, the premise of this movie is uh, Mel Gibson plays a former minister whose wife died and so he steps away from the church and from faith and one day finds crop circles on in on his crops and his family realizes that there have been crop circles that have popped up throughout the entirety of the world and uh, as increasingly uh, profound signs begin to occur in with around them, in and around them, and they keep watching more uh, newscasts about things going on in the world, they start to develop thoughts and encounters that make them question what their idea of miracles and faith are. I feel like that's a pretty, you know, it's a pretty bare bones of what we're going to talk about.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would have just said, they find crop circles in the, in the corn. Antics ensue. And antics ensue. Hijinks ensue. Christian. <laughs> Not a lot of hijinks in this movie. A, a limited amount of hijinks. A very diet size amount of hijinks. Okay, I have something I want to say about this movie,
1: but you need to get to your opening question. So can you get to your opening question?
0: So you you can only say it after I provide you an opening question. <laughs> okay, fine. No, um, I can there, I can say the opening question. You can
1: you can. There's. I'm, I'm okay there. Uh, I'll say this now, and then I'll give my thoughts on it. This this movie has a lot of jokes in it, in a way that I did not expect, because I wouldn't necessarily call Shyamalan movies funny.
0: Yes, <laughs> I concur, and I look forward to to unpacking some of these silly, silly jokes <laughs> in this <laughs> relatively unfunny movie. So here, Christian, is your opening question. Let's get this show on the road. In a key moment in the movie, Gibson's Graham and Phoenix's Merrill are talking about the two ways that people can relate to events that are seemingly supernatural or lack explanation or maybe even are just kismet. Things come together unexpectedly. Gibson says that there's really two groups of people, the people who identify or believe in signs and miracles and, and find hope in that. And then there are those who believe that there is no supernatural power or guiding force watching over us. We just get lucky or unlucky. We're alone. So we've now seen three major movies from and Christian. And I know we've done some Homework in the background as well, so maybe you've seen... I mean, obviously you've seen more. So I'm curious, Christian, do you find yourself a Shyamalan believer at this point? Or do you think that he just got lucky?
1: This is not a man who who got lucky. This is a man who has genuine skill in craftsmanship and, how, and what he does. And honestly, I um, I know that the term has been thrown around, that he is a, um, an actor's director. And I don't know to what extent I... I understand people who are actors, directors, or not, but um, specifically in this movie, these actors are great. These performances, I think, are truly, truly wonderful. And so he will always go big, go with an odd concept, and want to look at how people are reacting to that concept. And you know what? I'm kind of, I'm kind of in now. Let, let me let me tell you right now. The happening is a travesty. <laughs> the happening is a travesty. But even in those first like fifteen minutes, I was kind of like, "Oh, I wonder where this movie's gonna go." And then, it <laughs> and then a shotgun came out, and I was like, "I don't like where this movie went."
0: No, not a <laughs> thing either. Like
1: where this movie went at all. But um, I, I will. I'm. I don't know. I'm. If a concept is fascinating. I'm kind of going to be in for what the director wants to do with it. And there are, I mean, there are genuine things. Okay, let me just say this. I really like science. I really, really like science. So when you've got a good concept and you've executed it because you have that and your characters are in. If if your movie is interesting, I want to watch it.
0: You know, Christian, I love interesting movies, too. Let's just get that out of the way. Just want to be honest about that. <laughs> but I, I'm with you, man. I am a Shyamalan believer at this point. And, I, you know, I may not include him among my favorite working directors necessarily, but the guy has very rarely let me down. And I've now seen probably half of his movies, at least half of them with a the memory, as I don't have any memories of The Last Airbender, <laughs> thankfully. But I've now seen a a great deal of his work and he's very rarely disappointed me only the happening really is the stinker there everything else is 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 solid or better and I I like what you identified there just about how he has skill of course as a director but also knows how to work with his actors and sometimes that goes awry like in The Happening (laughs) where I don't know how he was directing Mark Wahlberg and Zoe Deschanel and John Leguizamo but I didn't like it, <laughs> but <clears throat> there's so many strong performances in his other movies, and Signs especially, you get Mel Gibson, who's, you know, not only known as an action star, but some of his biggest roles are in big action movies, and we get to see him go through a crisis of faith and play a struggling father and and former priest, racked with hatred for god and that's a pretty complex performance to feature at the center of your big budget is there aliens invading thriller and he's always great with kids too shamalan oh,
1: yes the what the the kids the kids in old the kids in um the the, the kid in The Happening, the kids in, in Knock at the, the kid in the Knock at the Cabin. I mean, Haley Joel Osment.
0: Almost every one of his movies features a child actor prominently. You have Haley Joel Osment, Spencer Tree Clark in Unbreakable, Rory Culkin and Abigail Breslin here in Signs. I haven't seen The Village or Lady in the Water, so you know, maybe not, maybe not sure there. But there is a young girl in The Happening. A lot of young actors in The Last Airbender. Jane Smith, not a child but teenager, for After Earth.
1: <laughs> okay. in in last airbender no i'm so sorry that's not kids (laughs) that's not where kids should
0: be uh the visit though centers on two young people one of whom is like a tween one of whom is a teen so he is very very often working with kids and getting great performances out of them and i think that's partly why early on in his career especially around the time of signs that Shyamalan had developed this reputation as you know some people have called him the next Spielberg or something like that. This American director working in with high concept movies who can really get butts in seats and tells these, like identifying these great stories, but with a lot of filmmaking skill and makes them distinct or they could have just been bland. And obviously that didn't stick with him in terms of his reputation, but signs is as good an example of that comparison as anything. I think there's some really strong and confident filmmaking plus this alien invasion story, which he beat Spielberg to the punch because war of the worlds doesn't come until a few years later. <laughs> so very, very much uh, understanding the connection there and why people may have identified that as a potential career path for him and all in a way, I'm kind of glad he didn't go down it. You know, he's, he's paved his own way and, and, Having haters and making some bad movies as as much as the as much a key part of the Shyamalan experience as uh, as anything.
1: Uh, okay, okay,
0: Christian. The humor
1: in this movie. <laughs> we're gonna start with the humor. <laughs> this movie's funny, man, and I kind of like it, but it, it's it's I don't know if we should start with the humor. I have hi, hijacked this from you and where you were gonna go. However. <laughs>
0: you know i I told you in our little outline before the episode, I wanted to start talking about the atmosphere of the movie, so humor's it's technically part of the atmosphere of the movie i guess but but there's 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 humor there's uh
1: there's this thing that he has done with these actors where it's almost like he's told them to be devoid of emotion they're they're very um uh ah, blunt <laughs> well not not even blunt they're 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 very they're um they're uh, muted. This, this. They're very muted. Even yes, the kids a... are,
0: are not very... They don't really peak emotionally very often.
1: And that makes them almost much more engaging. Because as they watch the TV... As, as they watch news about what is going on... By the way, he really likes to include news in his movies. Just like the news is telling us what's going on in the rest of the world. But... As we see them react in these muted and comical and awkward forms, and then we get like a glimpse of, oh, okay, so spoiler alert, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna spoil this movie. So there are aliens.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's not itself a major spoiler. I don't think that's kind of part of the, (laughs) the selling point of the movie. So hopefully that wasn't a spoiler to people.
1: So as and as we get random glimpses of aliens, it's like they are. It's like these actors are perfectly capturing the awkwardness and inability to truly. I, I don't know. React the inability to truly grasp what is going on, and it, it's like their bewilderment is mirroring the audiences. I think bewilderment and also awkwardness, especially because the movie looks the the movie looks beautiful. The, I, I think it's shot so well and is very bleak and just it, I mean a lot of his movies are pretty bleak actually and are in that bleakness trying to capture individuals who want to get out of that bleakness who are, who, or, or situations that defy that bleakness and yet that like clash is what is so engaging.
0: Yeah, the movie was shot by Tak Fujimoto, who is a frequent collaborator of of Shyamalan. He worked on The Silence of the Lambs as well. Um, But yeah, worked on The Sixth Sense, so this is not the first movie that we've seen of his that Shyamalan made. And this has a very similar visual style to, to The Sixth Sense and to Unbreakable, even now that we've both seen it and can talk about it. Sort of a cool, blue color palette for the most part with occasional pops of color like in the sixth sense there's a lot of red and there's a pretty key moment near the end of this movie where Shyamalan just pushes in on a wall of the house while focusing on the sounds happening outside of the house and the wall is just red so the screen is just slowly becoming more and more red as these unsettling sounds are happening so I I would say it's definitely part of their collaboration there and that's what Fujimoto helps bring, uh, just bring in this pretty cohesive visual style that not only features these occasional pops, but really captures the mood of the characters. Uh, of course, in The Sixth Sense, we have Willis, who is, we think, you know, survived this, this shooting, and Hala Jill Osman, who's this young boy seeing ghosts whose father has left the family And in Unbreakable. Bruce Willis's character survives a train crash and is dealing with the guilt of that, but is also dealing with a a near divorce from his wife they're sleeping in separate bedrooms and almost separated and and they're trying to recover their marriage and protect their child and so in signs this kind of atmosphere if you will or emotional reality if you want is pretty par for the course with shaman at this point we have a family who has lost their mother gibson's a, a priest but he's Uh, I don't think this is said in the movie, but it's said elsewhere that he's an Episcopalian priest. So still able to get married and have kids. That's why he has kids and is a former priest. His wife has died in a pretty freak accident. She was out for a walk and was hit by a car. And they're all dealing with that. And and Phoenix's character is the brother who has come to live with them after that happened just to help kind of take care of the kids and keep things moving at at the family farm. So the visuals of the movie in terms of just the look and the, feel very much match the emotional story that's being told here um I, I think too he's really really succeeds in building suspense throughout this movie and that's where the humor works i think because it's really balancing out these pretty tense moments and there's a lot that we could identify just in terms of the aliens and the way that gibson is seeing them or maybe not seeing them but there's some real genuine scares in this movie in a way that i wasn't really i wasn't necessarily scared watching the sixth sense there, there's a couple jump scare moments there but there's some genuinely unsettling sequences and signs
1: he's he's i don't know he's like a horror director's cousin in that his movies aren't outright horror but they don't sit neatly into a thriller category either and, and it's fascinating to see that it's also fascinating how especially like the major characters the major family within this movie have like random ticks and, and that that other people also are also weirded out by or maybe that's just for ourselves but uh, for example Ab- what is Abigail's character's name? Bo. Bo. Yeah, oh, the kids okay. are
0: Morgan and Bo.
1: Bo loves to drink a little bit of water, and then something becomes wrong with the glass or the cup, or there's a hair in her water, or she says someone took a sip from it, and so it has their amoebas in it.
0: Yeah, and she's so she got one of those childhood neuroses where she needs to drink the water herself, and, and there can't be anything weird in there, it or can't taste weird, or else she won't drink it. So there's all these glasses of water littered around the house because there's... Don't clean him up.
1: And what what is it the um, uh, the, the uh, what is Mel Gibson's character's name? Graham. Graham. When Graham goes to the pharmacy and meets Tracy, and Tracy starts to like confess all of the times she's cursed in the past month.
0: <laughs> he's he keeps telling people not to call him father anymore because that's what they all refer to him as, just father has or father. And he's like, please, I haven't been a father for six months. And then Tracy initiates a full-blown confession in the pharmacy, <laughs> talking about all the swear words that she's said.
1: And apparently it went from 38 to
0: 71. Because douchebag was considered a swear
1: word. <laughs> because douchebag was considered a swear word. It's ah, this, like, these quirks that they have, like, in him listening to everyone call him father and him telling them not to call him father, or Morgan going to the bookstore and getting a book on aliens and then, like, putting sticky notes on different parts that he thinks are and taking notes on it, it's it's a weird family. <laughs> it, it's it's a weird, and yet also with everything weird going on in the world for them, it feels like the perfect family to zone in on.
0: Absolutely, and it, it even has a just a little bit of a different type of. What do you call it, different type of feel? I guess where we've had a lot of stories about you know, a family at the center of a crisis. And it's not like this movie would have been uninteresting if the mother was still alive and, and Gibson's crisis of faith was about something different. But there is a little bit of a different feeling. It's a very masculine energy that Gibson and Phoenix bring because the Colleen, who's the wife and mother, has passed away. And so the kids are left searching and they have their emotionally stunted and spiritually reeling father and his sort of well well meaning but kind of ineffective brother (laughs) who's helping look out for them and it just gives the movie sort of its own unique feel in the same way or not in the same way in a a different way where it would have been if it was like a family at the center here there is a family of course but i meant like a nuclear family even spielberg himself i'm pretty sure in war of the worlds Cruz is running around with dakota fanning and maybe one other kid or something and there's there's it's just him there's no mom in the picture so different takes on these kinds of families and crisis stories, just to make things a little bit more fresh.
1: There is a mom. They're just divorced, and she's moved away.
0: Okay. There you go. Alright, what else are we touching on (laughs) in this outline? (laughs) Well, Christian, I mean, in terms of the the moments of building suspense here, were there any particular sequences that really stood out to you? Or anything that really worked in particular for you?
1: When we first see after the crop circles, the dog almost going after the kids or like trying to go after the kids to the point where, where Morgan kills the dog. I was like, Oh, okay. This is something's going on here. And later on that night when they, um, look up and there's like a figure standing on the roof.
0: Oh, that got me. I was not expecting that at all. So it's, it's one of those where
1: it lasts for just like a couple seconds. And then you move on, but you're still like, he does a great job of not showing you the aliens truly in full until the very end. And even when we see him, except for like one scene where he's well lit in the first scene where there's an alien in full display, he's overshot. Like it's so bright that a lot of his features just can't be made out. That it, it it's just like a terrifying figure against like a, backdrop of a ton of light
0: yeah the um maybe the most famous scene or moment from this movie is the brazilian video that captures the alien for the first time and there's of course the the we understand that it's aliens pretty quickly i think and plus we know it's an m Night Shyamalan movie and so either there's going to be some wild twist ending or it's going to be aliens and the crop circles get discovered around the world gibson and phoenix keep having these weird run-ins around the farm and eventually we get news coverage of things like lights in the sky and whatnot and this video breaks out of this family recording a home video during a birthday party in brazil and we see this there's a very clear moment where we capture the alien walking and for me, I had known that, and so I thought that was—I thought that was the big reveal. And this is the ways where, you know, we talked last week about how the sixth sense, when you know the spoiler, the the twist going into it, it can affect your viewing of the movie because you're not going to be surprised by the fact that Bruce Willis. There's is,
1: no twist in this movie, though.
0: Yeah, right. There, there's there's no real twist in this movie, and so I was expecting not to see the aliens until much later and because of what I knew about it. And so to have that moment very early on where you see that shadowy figure standing outside the window, that really freaked me out. (laughs) And there are a couple moments later on too where Gibson, um, one of the most effective sequences in the movie might be him going to check on the crops later on. It's, It's nighttime, he gets a flashlight and he is one of the only people who's still... Unsure about what's going on. It seems like the kids and, and Meryl have accepted what is happening is aliens. Gibson still wants to believe it's people putting on a hoax. And he goes out into the cornfield with his flashlight. And he is just checking to see what's going on. There's this weird is happening. And he starts talking. And he says, hey, whoever's out there, I'm not going to call the, the news station. I'm not going to tell the police. You're not going to be famous. So just give it up. And eventually he's trying to walk out of the field and go home and he just he just sees a a leg stepping back into the corn and, and it little just leg. yeah and this the last little bit that he missed of this alien slinking around his cornfield and it again another one of those moments where it he, he literally turns around tucks tail and sprints back to the house and and you totally feel the fear with him and i think just in looking at the sixth sense which wasn't i don't think it was necessarily very suspenseful movie a lot of the scares that start happening later on are more about seeing these ghosts and seeing the injuries they they have or the sicknesses they have and being confronted with that and and watching as Cole is starting to have these conversations with them is sort of where the fear and suspense comes from but there's not really any 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 thrilling sequences I guess you want to say Unbreakable has some but they're more related to action scenes and so science here I think shows another tool in Shyamalan's tool of genuinely building out these frightening moments and landing them pretty successfully or not landing them intentionally and for example there's a moment where they see that they, they go running around the house early on in the movie because they think there's some people messing with them and so Phoenix and Gibson are trying to catch them they look up at the roof after whatever they're chasing has clearly climbed up there and Shyamalan just holds the camera on Phoenix's face and doesn't cut away, and you want to see what he's looking at so bad because he looks a little frightened and you're, he looks concerned, and you're really wondering what the heck is happening. And he just doesn't cut away from Phoenix's face. He says, "Nope, you gotta wait. You gotta wait to see what's going on here." And it's uh, it it's he's very good at finishing so good. character arcs,
1: at like at, at he writes characters very well where the transformation that occurs you can definitely see how they got there from the beginning. Except for in The Happening.
0: However, in... (laughs) Everything is except for The Happening.
1: In, in, I mean, Last Airbender too, but... um, No, so you can see why Mel Gibson was a man of faith, why Graham was a man of faith, who after his wife's passing took a break and this arc in him trusting in something again. I don't know. Makes makes sense. Haley Joel Osment's character and him accepting that his abilities are not a curse or a detriment. You see, it's a believable arc. Same thing with um, Ben Aldridge's character and Jonathan Groff's character in Knock at the Cabin. So it's, I he makes he's a good writer in taking these characters to completion.
0: The. The character arcs here, at least in terms of, I I would say, maybe Graham's journey that he goes on, is really well done, in my opinion, and this is really a, a foregrounding of some of the themes of faith that Shyamalan likes to work with, and obviously Knock at the Cabin would cover this, but this is 20 years apart between these two movies, so Signs, very early on, is foregrounding these themes of faith, while The Sixth Sense kind of has hints of it of course they're going to churches and funerals and all of that and unbreakable is littered with faith though yeah unbreakable has moments of faith too but in in signs we're literally dealing with a priest who has lost his faith because of the death of his wife and his family is asking him to find it again basically they they there's a moment where phoenix is talking about the way gibson's eyes looked near near the end of the movie but he says i never want to see your eyes look like that ever again and referring to the fact that it really looked like in that moment Gibson had sort of resigned himself and had no hope, had no faith that things were going to go right. And the kids here are are really struggling, of course, because their dad is pretty not distant. He's very involved in their lives, but he's emotionally reserved and and he's still reeling from the loss of his wife. And they clearly need their father to step up again. And little Morgan does a pretty good job being a big brother to Bo. And, of course, they read this book on aliens together and he's trying to protect her when he can like from the dog at the beginning of the movie but Graham really does go on this journey of wrestling with his faith once again especially in the face of this unbelievable crisis (laughs) there's aliens landing on earth, what do you do? who do you turn to? and I I do want to get to the ending maybe near the end of our review here before we move on to Far Christian so we can talk about that, to talk about how his arc resolves but uh, before we do I wanted to ask you about. Sorry, I wanted to ask you just about the general exploration before we get to how Graham's arc resolves. Uh, We talked about it in *Knock at the Cabin* a little bit. This relationship between in that movie, it's more faith and but faith done as religiosity and kind of finding faith in the face of the apocalypse. And there are some moments that are handled better in that movie and handled maybe not as successfully. But here, as we were talking about, we have the idea of a person who has lost their faith, finding it again in the midst of this alien crisis and wrestling with it and their anger at God, their doubt and their frustration at the way their life has gone. What did you make of that particular theme? Because it's really one of the most important themes in Signs. And if you don't really vibe with it, you're not going to enjoy the movie at much more than a surface level. So I'm curious what you thought about that. I didn't always
1: connect the two, I, I um, and not to say that it wasn't well built out, it's just that to me it was much more so, and, and maybe this is what you're getting at, to me it was much more so do you believe in something that cannot be explained? And do you believe in things that have a purpose? And the reason that I'm not necessarily connecting it with faith is because it, it, it feels like we're not making the jump to God is the one ordaining this. That's the thing. This he, He's not referencing God. He's not saying he doesn't necessarily believe in God. But He's saying that he doesn't want to waste time on prayer, waste time on changing the reality of things, or waste time on accepting that there could be a destiny behind things. And in so doing, and in us so focusing on, is there something more than what it is that we see here? The fact that there are aliens that exist <laughs> does a good job of, of forcing that out of him. The fact of, and, and, and looking at the difference between what it takes for each character, each character to either accept faith or to want to cling on to something is fascinating. Like for for um, Meryl, for Joaquin Phoenix's character, it was enough on him making out with a girl, or about to make out with a girl, and her throwing up and not throwing up on him, or like in his mouth. That was enough for him to be like, it was a miracle. And juxtaposing that with, with Rory Culkin's character, with Morgan being like, these are signs that there are something else out there and I am all bought in, I am full of it, we're doing so, we're going, we need to prepare, the aliens are coming. They make it that faith is a choice. Not just something that's out there, but you need to choose whether or not it's luck or miracles. And once you make that choice, you kind of have to stick to it. Or or do you? Because I think for for them they do.
0: I mean, I think pretty transparently though. I think when Graham is giving that speech to Merrill about the two groups, he is telling him pretty bluntly, Merrill, I am in the second group at this point in my life. I no longer believe there's someone out there watching over us. I no longer believe that there's a deeper purpose behind things. I think that we're just alone in the universe and i'm a, i'm one of the unlucky people when you know, there are uh, there are others who are lucky and we get to see him go on a journey back to a uh, being a member of group 1 <laughs> there's there is belief and faith in something bigger than himself and an ability to trust in that thing or to see the way that life can the, the threads of life can converge into preparing you for a particular moment in time or to provide meaning retroactively to things that seem meaningless and specifically we do get a couple of flashes back to the night his wife died and she was out for a walk and was hit by a, a driver who had fallen asleep at the wheel notably played by Shyamalan himself and Shyamalan cast himself in cameos or small roles all the time and I I think this might be the he actually he does give himself a scene in, in Unbreakable so maybe not the first time he's given himself a, more than just a moment but they do this have is a conversation a
1: substantial scene that he or character he gave himself in this movie
0: yeah right the guy who killed the main character's wife <laughs> and uh, we do see them have a conversation at one point but in, back in the past his truck has basically pinned. Uh, Gibson's wife to a tree and has wounded her so that when the truck moves away her kind of body will literally fall apart and it's one of the more gruesome moments in the movie that's not it's not gruesome to see it's just how they talk about it there's another character who's played by cherry jones who's an actress that people will likely recognize and she's the police officer in the scene she also has a few conversations with graham early on in the movie and we eventually get to hear his wife's final words, which he references to Meryl earlier in the movie, so it's kind of refreshing us on her final words, and she's giving basically like these little messages to to the kids and to Meryl and to Graham, and that those are her final words before she dies, and we see the ways how, for Graham, those ultimately become a sign, because of how they play into the end of the movie, and I think that's something interesting that Shyamalan touches on. It's just that part of the beauty of faith is it helps us to deal with the horrific things that can happen in our lives, or at least just the negative things. Maybe we haven't all had a spouse get pinned to a tree by a truck and die, but we have endured hardships in our lives no matter who we are. And being able to look back on your life, find the patterns, and see how things resolved later on, or even... To just look back and see how something you thought was a negative purely had some silver linings, and being able to see the arc of your life and the story of your life in view of a supernatural power or a god or a religious, you know, identity, whatever you want, whatever it's, it is for you, I think that's something that Shyamalan is getting at as a positive thing and something that an alien invasion, as unbelievable as it could be, could spur on in people, although it might for Which some why- spur on the opposite
1: the Merrill character I love in this because maybe it's not a pattern that you're seeing. Maybe it's just the one. Maybe it's just the one girl who didn't throw up in your mouth.
0: And it's enough for you to self-identify and say, you know,
1: (laughs) there is. I believe in
0: science. I believe in miracles. Yeah. Miranda McKinney didn't puke on me at this party. So therefore (laughs) I believe in signs and miracles. Uh, Let's talk briefly about the ending Christian. If people do want to save this, I just we're gonna spoil it, so check out the movie and then come back. But of course at the ending, I, I was curious your thoughts here because things resolve, I will say, relatively neatly in a movie that for a while I've been pretty comfortable with the the lack of neatness. So we see the ways where Bo, of course leaving all these glasses of waters out around the house helps them fight the alien because one final alien sticks around and tries to kidnap Morgan of all people. And they are able to defeat it because the aliens are scared of water and weak to water as Ray, the Shyamalan character, identifies earlier on in the movie. So there's our first connection. Bo's glasses of water strewn about the home, second connection that allow them to damage the alien. Three, Meryl has this bat that was from a big home run he hit during his baseball career that is still up on the wall. And we're told it's literally Chekhov's baseball bat. We're told that it's still up on the wall (laughs) earlier in the movie. And Morgan also has asthma and suffers an asthma attack due to the anxiety from the alien invasion. He also kind of gets a hand on him at one point. And because of his asthma, he's able to withstand this toxic gas that the aliens disperse to to kill people. So (laughs) that's four. And finally, bringing it all together is Gibson's last words from his wife, and we do we do see that she says to him, "See," and to Merrill, "Swing away." And so Gibson sees the baseball bat and is able to tell Merrill to swing away. (laughs) So all of these things converge extremely neatly, and I think to some it can be satisfying. Obviously, you have all of these plot threads coming together and you you wonder how Shyamalan's gonna bring these disparate elements into a, a neat conclusion and I think for some people it was unsatisfying just because it seemed like Shyamalan was kind of making a puzzle and, and filling in the pieces he kind of came up with the conclusion that backfilled the pieces as he needed to be to get where he wanted to go and I'm curious what you thought about that ending sequence which is pretty tense and thrilling in its own regard to stand off the, the alien but curious what you thought about all those things coming together and whether it was too neat for you or satisfying.
1: I enjoyed it because I I liked the puzzle coming together and I also didn't take the I mean, look, my thing is the wife's words were clearly not in response to a potential alien attack (laughs) because, you know telling Meryl to swing is like I don't know. Don't be cautious in life. Keep going forward. What you were doing is not a bad thing, whatever. Telling telling Graham to see might just be like, hey, you know, continue on in the faith. She only had a couple seconds she was going to like tear into. And so to finish this off and for him to, I don't know, interpret it in this way felt more so him fully allowing himself to remember his wife, to come to grips with who his wife was, who his wife was, and what she meant to him, and what his faith did for him. And that is how it all came together for me.
0: Right. I think the, the thematic point here is that this horrible thing that may have ruined his life and ruined his faith, ultimately is the thing that also restores it. Because after six months of, of doubt and struggle, we then see how her final words somehow inspire him to defeat this alien <laughs> and for him you love defeating aliens I, I love to defeat aliens as well and rescue rescue my asthmatic son from their clutches we and he sees again ascribing meaning to that moment and, and identifying it as the work of god in his life which again i think Shyamalan has has explored both sides enough that i think he gives us space to say that graham could have determined that was just another random sign he got lucky that was random things that came together but graham in his life is going to re-identify as a, a man of faith and is going to trust god again for the ways that these things worked together in his life something as innocuous as his little daughter's weird neurotic treatment of her water glasses and something as frustrating as his son's asthma that can keep him unhealthy and unwell and put him in danger if he doesn't have his inhaler. And something as horrific as losing his wife in a freak accident can ultimately help him find meaning again. And I think, I mean, that that moment really does, while it brings the story together, it also resolves the themes in a pretty satisfying way. And it, it, it does feel a little bit, I, I guess like an easy ending, but... Not, not an easy ending in that clearly he had to set everything up and, and get it to a point where you're, you're not just wondering, like, where did this glass of water come from? Yeah, but I, I, I don't know. I, I think ultimately it does come together in, in a way that is satisfying and not just too cheap and easy. The last moment, too, we do see a few months later post-Alien Invasion. We see He's one final moment. Up. He's dressed up in his priestly garb once again. The collar is back on. Gibson, the uh, the uber Catholic, who is now playing an Episcopalian, uh, that moment I maybe could have done without, honestly, <laughs> but you know Shyamalan can't resist his sentimental endings, so he had to tack that on for sure. Christian, any final thoughts on signs before we we move on here? No, wait,
1: wait. Oh, I at that moment when when um, the police officer asks. Meryl how it is working at the gas station and he goes stimulating (laughs) I found that funny
0: nice Nice one Meryl I will say too that the movie opens and almost closes on the same shot of the window in the family home and it's a really cool shot to open the movie kind of looking out at the backyard and then the camera pulls back through the window so you see it's weird and, and wonky and you're wondering what's going on to indicate that we're in a science fiction movie and something weird is about to happen and there are a couple Shyamalan moments of looking through the, really ma- the window. Likes, but...
1: Shyamalan really likes his pans. Like, he likes looking at a character and then panning and then, like, just stopping the pan left or right whenever
0: he wants. Yeah. He, he, he He's a big panner. He is a big panner. He likes to move the camera. But it also ends on this now broken window, seeing the family out in the field once they've survived the alien. And it's this nice reminder of, like, before things were wonky and weird, but now we see clearly and the family is reunited. Just some great visual visual storytelling there. There we go. That is Signs, folks, currently streaming on HBO Max. A strong recommendation from both Christian and myself to check it out. Definitely worth a watch, especially if you've been enjoying some M. Night Shyamalan homework with us. Catching up with his films, either recent or more classic, like The Sixth Sense. And now, near the conclusion of our Shyamalan Blend of the Month, Christian, it's time to dish out some awards. As listeners of this show know, we do like to comment on the blends of the month that we do, talk about our favorite film from the marathon, as well as a couple of other categories, usually related to the filmmaker or the actor or the genre that we're working with. And first around, Christian, our first award from the Shyamalan Blend of the Month here is Best Scene or Moment. So resist picking the scene and The Happening where they talk about the virtues of hot dogs and instead pick something from Knock at the Cabin, The Sixth Sense, or Signs, movies that we covered here in the marathon.
1: The best scene or moment. I am going to go when he is at the when, oh from signs when Graham is at the house of the guy who killed his wife and is trying to use a knife to see if he can look at the alien who is locked in the pantry and then the hand comes out and he slices two of the fingers big fan of that moment
0: such a great scene. And I mean, we could have done a, just a review, just walking through signs scene by scene almost, because there's so many fantastic moments. But yes, Gibson trying to use the knife to, to like reflect light and, and get a, use it as a mirror to see who's back there. Such a great moment. And when that hand jumps out, oh my gosh. Another another moment where Shyamalan truly scared me. I, and for me, in terms of a, a scene or moment, I'm actually going to go with something from the sixth sense. And it's not when... Haley Joel Osment tells Bruce Willis that he can see dead people. But it is near the end of the movie with Haley Joel Osment and Tony Collette. Mother and son having a moment in the car together. They're stuck in traffic and we find out there's an accident. And only Cole knows, at least as far back in the line of traffic as he is, that the woman who is, who is hit has died. And he chooses this moment to reveal to his mother his secret, that he can see dead people but it becomes less about the woman who has just died into more of him proving to his mother what he's talking about and he starts sharing this story from her past because he has seen his grandmother and they also had a moment where this uh, this pendant was taken from her room and taken into cole's room and she thinks that he stole it but the grandma ghost had been moving it around because she liked it so much and Cole is able to identify this this moment from his mother's past that she had never shared with him. And there's no way he could have known it without legitimately speaking to a ghost. And to me, it's a beautifully acted moment. And, and um, Osmond and Colette have fantastic chemistry as mother and son throughout the movie. And it's this beautiful moment that really brings the two of them back together. Not that they had enough strife that they were separated, but brings them back on the same page emotionally and helps them really reconnect. They're both crying and it's touching and moving, but it's also this great resolution of the of their story with these like crazy supernatural elements. And to me, it's one of those key Shyamalan moments where the supernatural meets the sentimental, and those are why he was referred to as the next Spielberg, because Spielberg it, is also very sentimental in most of <laughs> his movies. and That's what he's been criticized for throughout his career. He manipulates the audience.
1: No, I love it.
0: Same here, man. Same here. And Shyamalan indulges himself in a bit of emotional manipulation as well, but doing it in his own supernatural and freaky way. And so, for me, that was the scene of the blend. Okay. Christian, favorite performance? We have a couple Oscar nominations to work with from the two people I just talked about, but we also have some great performances across all three movies. You could pick a child, you could pick an adult, you could pick a lead, you could pick a supporting actor. But Christian, who are you going to choose for your best performance?
1: Okay, so I was going to go with Haley Joel Osment in Six Sense*, And then I thought, but I... I think The Sixth Sense might be the movie that I like the least from these three. Amazing. So you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and say screw it and I'm going to pick Joaquin Phoenix's Merrill. Okay. I, I'm, I'm in. I'm, I'm, I'm all in for him and his humor and his awkwardness, his bluntness, his physicality, the way that he is like the weird uncle who's like protecting the family with a... Well, his much older brother who should be doing it isn't doing anything really or is just in so much doubt that he can't provide the emotional support needed so Merrill's there for a crutch who's been who was a massive baseball player when he was earlier but also struck out so many times because he couldn't help butt sling the bat which is is also like a parallel to his performance of going wanting to go 150 miles an hour and uh, being held back being muted until he's being told that he
0: doesn't have to be anymore i'm in i'm sold love it you failed to identify my favorite merrill moment from the movie <laughs> and there's two shots that that come to mind but the first one is when gibson stumbles upon the kids reading the book about aliens and he goes into the room and he gets this confused look on his face and then it shows us by flipping the shot to the kids and they're sitting there with tinfoil hats on which is the classic conspiracy theory that aliens are going to read your minds unless you wear tinfoil hats and that's why people use tinfoil hats as this metaphor all the and time and meryl joins them and again his yes the, so this happens hat. again after things get weirder and there's more alien stuff on the news eventually gibson comes back in the house and it flips and we see all three of them sitting on the couch together and one of the funniest moments in the movie for sure but also i mean phoenix just looked so funny juxtaposed to physically to rory culkin and abigail breslin and abigail breslin is tiny at this point in her life she's so young and phoenix is a full-grown man and it's just funny seeing him sitting there with the complete seriousness on his face that he shares with them I I have to say, I, Phoenix. I don't know if it entirely worked for me his performance. I wasn't really sure about the character. No, you're but wrong. I'm hating a little bit. You're, I had you're to wrong. You really give an award, but I loved that moment. I was really unsure where to go with this award too, because obviously you think of Haley Joel Osment. The kid got Oscar, Oscar nominated at nine years old for how good he was in The Sixth Sense, and he really we awarded him a couple of years ago. We did. He really is so good in this movie, and I think I got to talk about some of why I loved him in my best scene. And so, in, in choosing a different performance, I am also going to go from Signs, but I'm going to go with Gibson. Just going on this spiritual and emotional journey, I think it was, uh, it was really compelling uh, to follow him. And it would have been easy for this performance to become muted and emotionally stunted to a way where it's unengaging, or to to lose us when he does let some of the let some of his guard down and and things come through the moments where he gets angry or he gets scared or he gets sad, I think Gibson really nails each of those moments and by the time we see the ending, has us fully invested in in his love for his kids and his desire to protect them and care for them and as he's finding his faith again being kind of fully restored to who he was before the tragedy, so I was a fan uh, of, of his work there and Haley Joel took part in my best scene, so I'm going to give some love to a different movie there. And it sounds like we might also have the same best picture, Christian, but oh, yeah, it's, it's not signs. the Sixth Sense. So it is Signs, okay. <laughs> I mean, I am with you there. My best picture was Signs. A lot of, a lot of love to Knock at the Cabin. It's uh, one of the only 2023 movies I've seen so far, but <laughs> one of my favorites of the year. Uh, but did you like it
1: more than Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania? I
0: sure did like it more than Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, <laughs> Christian. But <laughs> Knock at the Cabin, you know, although it did not – get our our previous awards had some great moments within it Mm and had some really solid performances the sixth sense as we both identified was a little bit disappointing to us only because we both knew the twist going into it which meant we were kind of watching how it worked and, and not necessarily letting the movie wash over us which isn't necessarily the movie's fault but just that's growing up on the internet but signs is to me not just incredibly well acted and all the other good stuff that we talked about, but just this uh, fantastic blend of Shyamalan's themes and and the the signifiers that he works with, plus just fantastic filmmaking. And there, there's so many moments that I just love from a pure filmmaking perspective. And yeah. whether it's the recurrence of that window motif, or it's the building of suspense and not cutting away from the characters because we want to see what they're looking at, but he won't let us, or by even just the moments of them running through the corn just like it i really it's really cinematic to me and i couldn't fully identify why but i yeah science to me is is the best picture winner from this bunch what about it for you christian what final thoughts did you want to share on it before we wrap things up here
1: i mean it's thrilling and it's entertaining and in it provokes thought about what it would mean to believe in something other than yourself and it does that It, it does that in a simple way that's what i love it's a fantastically interesting concept that is executed very well.
0: There you go, folks. That is our, that those are our awards for our my Shyamalan blend of the month here. All in all, pretty fun. And also, not over just yet. Because we do have one more episode to release on this topic. And I was thinking about what we could do for the bonus episode. I wasn't sure about a top five list just because, you know, you and I are both doing a lot of homework and getting caught up. And seeing some of his other movies that we had missed. And I wasn't sure about doing like a streaming recommendations episode or like twist endings. I don't know. And ultimately it came down to the fact that, look, we've looked at one of his recent movies, two of his hits from early on in his career. We've looked at his good movies. But M. Night Shyamalan is famous for making bad movies just as much as he's famous for looking at making good movies. And so, Christian, it's time for us to look at a bad M. Night Shyamalan movie and it's time for us to look at one very specific Bad and Might Shyamalan movie, and that movie is The Last Airbender, of course, <laughs> a movie that uh, destroyed young Scott Lentz's hope in, in adaptations of beloved source material <laughs> that failed to launch the careers of many of its child actors, or, or rather, failed to launch some of their careers, and some of them survived, like Dev Patel. Good on you, Dev Patel. But it's...
1: Oh, that I'm so happy... Yes. I'm just so happy yes. we're going to be doing this. I've
0: been meaning to rewatch this movie for a long time, but now I finally have an excuse. I I did a whole watch through of the show with my wife during the the early COVID years. So I'm excited to now rewatch the movie that was the failed adaptation here. So the last airbender, if you'd like to join along is also available to stream on HBO max to the best of my knowledge. So hopefully you all at home can check it out and then we can all partake in the fun next week as we most likely Just shit on The Last Airbender, pardon my French. Uh, We should invite Paul Yoder. We should invite Paul Yoder. We'll see what our buddy Paul Yoder is up to and see if he can join us for the fun. But, folks, that is our show. So if you're still listening along at this point, thank you very much for doing so. We appreciate it. It means a lot that there are people out there listening and following along with us and the show as we cover these movies. So thank you for your support. There are a few things that you can do to continue to support the show. Number one, give us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe if it's applicable to that platform. Really would uh, be great to obviously grow the podcast here, build more listeners and and get more folks uh, here in the show, but also means that we can obviously cover more things that are interesting to you and and we want to know what you want us to cover here on the show. We want to cover more stuff that people want to listen to discussions about. So subscribe, rate, review, help us grow where you can. You can also send us an email to cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. We're regularly checking that inbox for listener feedback, have incorporated listener ideas into blends of the month, movies covered, and even invited people on the show after they've submitted their feedback. So send us your thoughts at cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. Especially if you have Last Airbender thoughts, I'd love to get some Last Airbender thoughts from the listeners here on the show. So feel free to submit those. Christian, you look like you're about to say something.
1: no 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 no.
0: okay and of course you can also follow myself and the show on twitter christian on instagram and the both of us on letterboxd where we are regularly rating and reviewing the things that we are watching christian any final thoughts for the folks listening along at home
1: you know that i don't believe in calling a movie good or bad
0: what yes you do
1: last airbender is is trash (laughs)
0: We're going to find and, out um, just how trash it is next week, Christian.
1: <laughs> okay, is there any world in which any of us do, like, a 180, actually, this is a hidden masterpiece? Christian,
0: no. There, no, there's no world. There is always a world, Christian. Because if you go look at The Last Starbender on Letterboxd, for example, it's received 224,000 or 224,000 people have watched it. 63,000 of those people have given it a half-star rating. <laughs> 29,000 have given it a one-star rating. It's got a 1.1 overall, Christian. But 1,000 people have given it a five-star rating. 219 have given it four and a half. I'm just saying. There's hope. (laughs) There's no hope. (laughs) You'll have to find out with us next week, folks. Until next time, this has been... Wait, we should...
1: You know, you know what it would be a good double feature with? What, Christian? The live-action Dragon Ball movie. Oh,
0: my gosh. No, thank you. <laughs> Until next time, this has been the Cinema Drip Podcast.